Petzl Prime to the Starlight Beacon. This is the Star Warriors podcast. The High Republic is underway, and we have been reading everything from books to comics to learn all about this new time period in Star Wars lore. And so to break down the first wave of stories, I've brought back the galaxy's favorite scruffy-looking nerf herders. So on the show today, we have Rocco. Hey. Casey. Colin. Hola. And Jake. Hello. And so, gentlemen, we have a lot to dissect tonight, uh, and so we're going to be jumping right into Light of the Jedi. But let's talk a little bit about what led to the High Republic, kind of the rocky road that it faced, and where we're at now. So the High Republic was pushed back because of COVID. It was originally supposed to come out in August of 2020. And then it finally, you know, with everything that happened last year, of course, it got pushed to January, and that was when we got uh, the release of Light of the Jedi, Test the Courage and the High Republic comics. Uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about Light of the Jedi, written by Charles Soule. Now, the nice thing about this is that four of us have read it. Uh, Rocco has not. He's here for uh, basically us to tell him all about what happened in this book and why he is really enjoying his uh, Marvel High Republic books. So uh, let's start off with... I guess the status of the universe, right? So we're in a very peaceful time, something we've never truly experienced with Star Wars. It's always been a war, uh, some kind of conflict going on, but we start off in a very peaceful time where the Jedi are at their prime. And so the Jedi Council is, is of course, located on Coruscant. And we've, we're familiar with a couple of them, which, you know, they're old enough to live until the prequel trilogy. But Really, the big thing here was meeting new Jedi, uh, the Jedi Masters, uh, the Knights, and their Padawans. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about that, uh, who are a couple of your favorites, uh, and, and, and why. So let's, uh, let's get right into that. Uh, Jake, why don't you start us off with your favorite Jedi from the, from the lot? Loden Greatstorm. I loved that character, and... Uh... We can go into spoilers territory here, right? Yeah. I am so sad that the book ended with him getting taken hostage and pretty much being put into a prison cell. Because I'm like, he's an amazing Jedi, and now his um, Padawan is like, I can't move on to Jedi Knight because Loden's not going to be there. It's a real different world where like masters don't tend to disappear. Which coming from like the Clone Wars, that is so different when it's like, oh, yeah, you're a Jedi Knight now because we just lost like four masters in that battle. And that was really it. I it, this book moved really fast. And it was it was funny because I had mentioned one at the beginning, like, why wasn't this person on the infographic? And then then <laughs> then she died probably like a few chapters later after I was reading it. So it's they got thrust into this. And I. I like that you brought that up because he he was such a strong character, uh, and then and we'll talk about what happened with the kidnapping and stuff. But from from the whole the whole crisis around Hetzel Prime to that to the end of the book, he was really one of the mainstays. And I'm really I'm really curious and worried about him at the same time. I'm just glad he's not dead. Yep. But uh, Martian Rowe has his lightsaber now, so that'll be interesting. Absolutely. Is that how you pronounce the name? Marshawn? Marshawn? Marshawn. Marshawn in the audio book. Yeah, Marcian. they were saying Marshawn oh, in the audio book. So. Okay. 
Yeah, and also those um, those little videos that they put out for each character on the Star Wars uh, website is, or on YouTube is really good. To, are really good to watch as well. Um, just a little insight into each character, the villains, and whatnot. So it's um, definitely definitely some heavy implications of what's what it's going to happen with uh, Martian Rowe and, and that lightsaber. So yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, just one more thing. Also yeah. with his character, I thought it was a huge shock. Like I was not expecting it when uh, Martian goes to him and takes his lightsaber and he's like, your voice sounds familiar. And he's like, kind of like someone sending out a distress signal. And it was all a plan all along to capture a Jedi. And I was like, oh, this guy's diabolical. This is going to be good. That was a big twist that I liked as well. Yeah, it really, you know, I, I didn't really know where they're going to go with the Nile. Uh, and I, I liked the Nile the entire time, but the fact that they got the best of everybody in a way really, really set me up for the next novel by Kevin Scott. And I'm really excited to see what happens after this initial, this initial chapter of the story. Uh, what about you, Colin? I uh, honestly, Jake, I'm surprised that you went with Loden Greatstorm, although granted the name kind of follows suit with your, your type of characters, but I was expecting you to go with Buriaga Agabori. He just it, wasn't. I'm, I'm, I want to make sure I'm just saying that right because you guys have listened to the audiobook and I, I, I didn't. At least so. the first name's right, you got. I think my main problem is he just wasn't that pivotal of a character yet. I'm hoping he gets expanded upon, but Loden was a big character yeah. in this book. <laughs> And I'll I'll say this at least just to cycle back to to load and I'm just grateful. Well, no, not going to talk about. Never mind. Nope, nope, not going to finish that just because of spoilers here. Um, regardless, uh, I love Buriaga just because I like to think of myself as an empath, and he is just that. That is his character definition, and the fact that it's a Wookie, that is such an empathetic character let alone an empathetic jedi that he can just feel the force and everyone in it like no other can is just so great of a choice because you think wookies you think chewbacca you think that scene in return in uh, revenge of the sith and they're all just beating the crap out of everything and you think violence you think wookies don't pull arms out of your sockets when they lose and here's buryaga and he's just this very very super sensitive jedi who is attuned to every emotion that scene that he's talking to the kid who survived um why am i drawing a blank on the spaceship that caused the whole great disaster the legacy run the legacy run the kid who survived it and he's just seeing everything that happened through that kid's emotional turmoil. Oh, loved that. I loved that scene from the book. Probably one of my favorites. Now the great Jedi rescue, is that more concentrating on, on that character? I, I didn't read that kid's book. It was probably the most, that one. yeah, it's probably the most, I know Ruben did. Um, unfortunately he's not with us tonight. Uh, and that's I was kind of interested because I know he's on the cover. I know he's featured in a lot of the art mm-hmm. in that book, which is which are you know which is really awesome. Uh, so I'm wondering if they kind of expand on that character. We'll have to find out off show. But does he also have a? Um, he has a lightsaber that's made out of uh, wood from Kashyyyk. Yes. Is that true? Oh God, I for- actually forgot about that. It's, it's 
been a second since I read it, so my brain is kind of like store all the info. Yeah. Oh man, what a beautiful, beautiful thing that he's just taking his home world and just taking it with him at all times, even further cementing the emotional connection he has. Although some might argue that, you know, Jedi are not supposed to be, you know, emotionally attached to things. And that that could lead to a concern that I have for him down the line that he does show attachment in some way because he literally took his home world with him to create his weapon. And he's an emotionally sensitive person because of his nature, his attunement to the force could make him a threat or a potential target for threats in the future. I feel like that's a Wookiee Jedi thing, though, because even in the Clone Wars, the one Wookiee Jedi, when they're on a David Tennant ship, asks for tr- uh, wood to create his lightsaber hilt. Okay. Yep. Maybe maybe it's a uh, a cultural thing. That's a good that's a good reference, Jake. I didn't know that. I forgot about that. How about you, Casey? What? Who was your favorite Jedi? Um, it, it was also. <laughs> Koryaga, um, same things that Colin said. I mean, uh, first of all, I don't remember seeing a Jedi Wookiee or Wookiee Jedi. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's different. Um, overall, the Jedi, I like quite a bit. Uh, you know, they, they paint them in a, in a cool way. Um, I read both these books back to back, so I'm sorry because, like, I'm thinking of because there's another Jedi I like way better in the next book, <laughs> and that's and that was my pick. But in light of the Jedi, yes, um, yeah, it's just we'll, we'll talk about it. He's my favorite. Great. Yeah. <laughs> now, Rocco, I don't want you to have to sit here in silence for for the next five hours while we talk about light of the that's Jedi. That's okay. I do want to mention that. Skir, Skir, I, I don't know how to say his name. Anybody want to help me with that one? The Trandoshan it's Jedi Skier. Master? Skier. Skier. Yeah. So it sounds very Trandoshan. Skier does play a part in this. So that that's the big surprise. Is like, how does a Trandoshan become a Jedi? Kind of a different situation there. And uh, so he he is featured in the comics, which mm-hmm. Rock will be talking to us about uh, shortly. But a lot of the stuff that leads to that happens in this book. Uh, so we can revert back to that. I do want to mention, I did really enjoy Avar Chris. I do like uh, strong, strong female characters like that. I'm glad that she, she has a very big leadership role, especially with her power. Uh, the song of the force or whatever yeah. they want to call it. It's just, a, it's something we've never really experienced before. And when they were leading up to this book, and the whole I Republic in general, they're saying we're seeing things that Jedi have never done before and so forth. Uh, so that kind of piqued my interest because I was like, how do you do that? What are you going to do? And this whole scene, especially around uh, Hetzel Prime and, and the Great Disaster, uh, when she is able to communicate with everybody at once and just kind of be there, be the voice and be the kind of uh, the, the direction. Happening. I just thought that was an, a really amazing power. Uh just something like i said something we've never seen before hey chris really quick uh you know i just finished Thrawn heir to the empire finally uh in between these two books and it really reminded me of the i don't think they gave it a name but the one jedi they brought in had this meditation he could do that could cause the whole fleet to work together and that was also the idea that the emperor 
uh, when he died, the fleet after the second Death Star lost control because that meditation he was doing was lost. And this reminds me a lot of that. That's awesome. I forgot about that completely. The Joris C. Bealth or whatever his name is. Yeah, the one I have no idea how his name is said. Seabath. <laughs> right, exactly. No, that's that's a that's an awesome reference. I it's been a long time since I read those books. That's uh I wonder if I wonder if they went back and borrowed some of that stuff and just kind of expanded on it. Yeah. yeah, right. I think that's that's awesome. Um let's let's get right into I guess the story uh, just so that we can talk about how we got to where we are at the end of this book. Like I said, it opens up to a peaceful universe. Uh no conflict, but all of a sudden there is the the great disaster. The great, great the great disaster is the legacy run, for some reason, uh, which we find out about later, of course, has been destroyed in hyperspace. Now hyperspace is supposed to be a safe safe zone, and all of a sudden the ship blows up and starts sending pieces everywhere out of hyperspace and mostly into the Hetzel Hetzel system where. I guess the main chunk of the story happens. And so what I really liked about this book is that was the way, the speed of it and how it was like this countdown. And so it really kept the pace going very well uh, and just kept me going from chapter to chapter. And that's something that sometimes if I makes me read a book faster uh, is that if it can keep that pace and it did for me. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what happens in the Hetzel system. I what I liked about it was the fact that they brought everybody together. It really got into the politics of things because the uh, what's her name, La- La- Lena So, uh, who is the the Grand Chancellor, yeah. uh, finds out about this. She shuts down the hyperspace lanes, which creates a lot of po- political tension across the galaxy uh, because this is a this is a semi new thing. Uh, these it, just being able to travel to the outer rim, uh, they're putting up the Starlight Beacon. A lot of things like that are happening, and it's this expansion into the outer rim is ha- is is going on, and all of a sudden this happens, and it sets everything kind of on a uh, a crash course to the main narrative uh, of what's happening with the Nile, also uh, creating this this tension with the Jedi and all this worry that kind of uh, is opening them up to the du- to the dark side, and that's something that they really haven't had any experience with. And we'll get to that with the comics as well, because we see that on a very personal level uh, with with Skier. Anybody have any thoughts on uh, just that that whole disaster in general? Uh, how you thought that the storytelling with that uh, and and character development? Yeah. So per- oh. Sorry. Go ahead, Jake. Oh, I was gonna say I loved the way that played out. Um, personally, listening to the audiobook, and just because we've never had a disaster like this, I did not initially connect that very first chapter when the ship gets destroyed to the immersions until like later on when we were like, Oh, this is the ship. It broke up in hyperspace and now is flying out of hyperspace and destroying things. I also got one other thing that I just absolutely cracked up at. We had those few first super depressing chapters where we would focus on a character and they would die by the end of it due to one of the immersions and there was the one at like the mining company where the guy was going to go to the bar and ask the girl out. And his supervisor was reading Jedi romance novels. I, initially, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like a, a shot at Raylo and everything there. 
but it was just so funny. And then just like the way everything played out after that to them figuring out, being able to slow the objects down, save the people. And then that droid supercomputer thing they did. And then finally kind of, I didn't read a ton of the comics, making Lars Santeca kind of important by making the Santeca family super important. I was like, this is great. And it's even tying into rise of skywalker and all that other stuff in the lore yeah i just want to mention uh that's something that rocco and i have talked a lot about in the comic episodes uh just kind of dashing in this high republic stuff uh just to kind of make everything you know just connected and that's a, that's a great point because it's a you know we're talking about the santecas and just the fact that one of them belongs to Martian Rowe is is the one who develops the paths which we'll get into you know going from that time period that far forward i just i love that kind of connection because no matter what those those sequel trilogies are part of star wars now and the more we can develop kind of the outlier stuff and make it all make sense and connect backwards the more those stories are you know cohesive well i was just going to say that the, the you just to your point about how avar sees the force and she sees it through music. Just a, a personal side, music major. I went to school for that stuff, so everything was song and you know rhythm for me. You know, f- through all my formative years. To, so to see the force described in such a way was just so kick ass, and that's just one more reason for me to be pulled into this. As reading is a huge burden on someone with dyslexia like me, so I was just like, oh, great, awesome. But then it was in that moment when they were trying to stop that huge piece from hitting the sun and they started to describe several different views of the force from different Jedi. I can't remember who it was for the life of me that when they're describing the the turmoil that the Jedi are going through when they're all exhausting themselves, some of them are literally dying, giving their lives, expelling every essence of the force that they have in order to try to move this object floating and flying through space. There's one Jedi who kind of just stops and he sees this endless ocean of water and he used, and it's to literally to him, it's endless. And because it's endless, he can just continue to give strength to every Jedi around him. And that moment was so damn cool. I've never thought of saying that when it came to a book, but it was so damn cool that it was, <laughs> it was just, cool. I see endless power and I'm giving it to all of you. Was that, who was it, Stellan Geos or Elzar Man? Was it one I of them? It's Elzar, man. Okay. Yeah, I get those two confused. <laughs> so it's like which one? I mean, I could, I, I could be wrong. I'm just, I think that's who it is. It, yeah, it was, it was either, it was one of them. And the thing about it is, neither one of them really heavily featured in this. I believe that the next book probably leads into them. Uh, but I did want to mention something about the Jedi romance novels. That was a little foreshadowing to something they they kind of allude to in the book. And that's that's Avar and Elzar's relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't say it, but they, it's definitely there. So we're watching this this attachment, this these things that the Jedi always warn against, things that we know happen in the prequel trilogy and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting because they play on all these different aspects of what the Jedi are doing so well, but then we really start to get these little 
hints of of downfall within each of them and what's where the dark side's picking at them yeah go ahead isn't skiers i read the first of the comics and it seems like he's starting to fall that's due to his connection to master i can't remember her name who dies in the book oh yeah but she was like really important because we're gonna get to into the dark but she kind of plays a minor role uh into the dark as well um, wasn't she her supposed to be apprentice. the original Marshall? Yes. Yes, yes that's the original Marshall. Jorah Mali. Molly. But his fall to the dark side is over, or I don't know if he falls to the dark side, but anger is over her death. Yeah. His pain, they described it as his cry out of pain was more for her loss than the loss of his arm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. You have like this this creature, this species who who they're all about, usually like violence and war and all this stuff. And you have him being affected very heavily by this. And that's why I like that that character development of him. And I just read issue two and three. So um that gets into some heavy heavy stuff that ties into that and also into into the dark as well, in a way. Uh so I'm excited to kind of kind of talk about that. Um but let's let's talk about one of my favorite parts of the book. I loved what happened on El Elfrana, uh, the planet where the Blythe family is stationed, and I'll put it that way because it's a very outskirty planet, uh, you know, in the in the outer rim, and there is a Jedi outpost there. And so the the Nile they come up with this plan to to kidnap this family for ransom. Uh, but you know, Jake mentioned, but it, what it actually was for, uh, so this family is there, uh, Nile attacks and we really, we kind of see how the Nile operate by dropping gas on the people, uh, <laughs> just, just how, just how violent they are. And the family really tries to put up a fight at first, but they get captured. Uh, but there is a distress call, quote unquote, sent to the Jedi and now you're you're at first you're meant to you know you're led to believe that it's from it's from whoever you know the I don't it's not Republic it's 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 just just random people out there right just kind of the the I law think, unquote, I think it was like dangers. the local town yeah yeah and so they they don't want to have anything to do with this because nobody wants to mess with the Nile nobody in the outer room wants wants that brought upon their heads so so they success, successfully kidnapped this family and you have uh, four Jedi at this outpost, and so after the, you know, after the, after everything that happened at Hassel, loading great storm, his Padawan Bel Zedifar, who is one of my favorite characters, and Dara Stokes and Porter Angle. Porter Angle is an interesting character as well. Uh, so they're there, and they task themselves with saving this family. And this is where it gets almost very Wild West for me, and I love that aspect of the book. Uh, writing basically chocobos, I would call them. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, just just the action that happened there, the first real fight between the Jedi and the Nil that we experience. Well, just as a, a, a an aside with the, the chocobos you're talking about, isn't that painting that they were using during the, the trailer at the very end where you see these Jedi rushing in against the Nile in the desert or with this canyon in the background. That's that scene, right? That's the four Correct. Jedi chasing after the Nile that are on that, on those um, metal beasts. I thought they were like metal horses. Yeah, I saw legitimately metal. That's yeah. what I thought. Straight up metal horses is how I had it in, in my I, head. I thought they were actually a being, though, because they could calm them with a force. 
Yeah, yeah. and they were had like some sort of magnetic hooves or something. Mm-hmm. So there was some sort of metal part to them, but they were organic beings. They weren't droids or anything. Right. It was just so weird the way that they described them as if their skin was metallic or of some sort of mineral ore because of the nature of the planet that they were on. Right. That painting is also the, I guess, the alternate cover to Light of the Jedi, if you get like the special edition. So they do the chase and then they really learn that the Nil, the Nile, sorry, I always want to call them the Nil, but the Nile have no no regard for fair fights. Uh, So... There's a lot of there's a lot of things that happen from the sniping. They're waiting for them. That's the cool battle. And then when they finally cut, cut, catch up with the ship, just some of the tactics that the Nile the Nile use against uh, against their opponents, and that lead that can also lead up to you know the other the other space battles that we see. We're we're messing with villains here that are kind of unprecedented in Star Wars, in my opinion. We we've always seen the Sith. We've seen the Empire all sorts of like organized armies like that. But here we have a very kind of unstable society that's based on um, power plays and, and, um, and just respect in a way. So it's a very thin line to where you could almost kill off your, your Tempest runner or leader or whatever they are and, and, and take charge of, of that sect. And we're talking very like, don't like to compare them to Vikings, but I guess what people would compare to Vikings any thoughts on that? Chris, on that thought, you know, maybe not the space battle as much, but the chase scene. Um, you know, I thought we got a lot into the Nile perspective when we had the Skyrim cart scene happening with the family in the cart. And the dad made everyone angry. So the one Nihil wanted to kill him. And the other Nihil's like, no, we already lost our speeder bike. So that's coming out of our pay. If we lose one of the four hostages, that comes out of our pay. And then we're only going to make a profit if we carry three of them back. And that, you know, is going to be a tough <laughs> deal with the Jedi on our back. So we we can't kill any of these people. Yep. And it's like, they don't care about killing them. They care about their paycheck and the fact that their pay is related to what happens on these missions. Yeah, and also they're, the, the ship at the end too, right? They're, they're worried about that and they, they want to try to, they want to get away and all this damage that's happening and they end up throwing, throwing people out of the ship to, to stop the chase because they know the Jedi are compassionate enough to stop and try to try to help them. So that's, that's an amazing part of the book, I think, because that's when we see uh, the whole thing with Loden happen uh, where we think he's about to save everybody, but uh, he gets gassed and, and taken with the father, right? He's the last one. Mm-hmm. believe so yeah yeah yes we see the un, the relentless the relentless actions of the nile from this because at this point we we don't know what happened and what caused the great disaster but once we get into the nile and their politics we get a better understanding of exactly what happened and that's that all relates to the paths right and so we have as we mentioned santeca her name is Mari, right? Mari is Santeca, and she was kidnapped as a child by Marcia and Rose's father, who was the original Eye of the Nile. Of the Nile, I'm going to say it wrong every time. Um, and so, we learned that uh, Marcia and Rose really isn't all powerful. We learned that he's very he has faults. Uh, his power is very unstable because 
like I said, the Tempest runners want to keep challenging him and they have their own thoughts about who should be leading the Nile. But because he holds these secrets of the paths, which are secret hyperspace lanes that uh, that the Nile used to get around the galaxy that nobody else knows about. Uh, and this is something that you had mentioned, Jake, that they, they may have brought up in the Thrawn books, right? Yeah, so um, immediately I thought of the Skywalkers from the new Thrawn books. So the Chiss only navigate space through female Chiss who um, are Force-sensitive up till their teenage years. Once they become a teenager, they lose their connection with the Force. But literally all they can do with the Force is kind of navigate hyperspace and ignore things that are in the way. So what you would normally not use as a hyperspace route because there might be a black hole in the middle of it. They're able to navigate around that so that the just can use hyperspace routes. And that immediately made me think of that. And then the Thrawn book where um, Thrawn actually teaches this trick to Vader so that he can navigate when their navigator dies or something happens where Vader needs to navigate hyperspace for them using this trick. So that's, that's an interesting thing. Does, when does that Thrawn book take place? Um, the Thrawn book where we learn about the Skywalkers, I think is the second, uh, Thrawn book. It's the one where we have the one, uh, with Thrawn in the past and, Thrawn with Vader, and then it's more well established in the third Thrawn book, and then just the most recent one that's all in Chiss space. Okay, so they haven't exactly tied it together yet, but that no. but that sounds exactly like it to me as well. Um, yeah, so the the paths really give the the Nile their advantage, uh, and that's and that's what they really play into, and that's why when even they shut down the hyperspace lanes. Uh, that the Nile can continue to operate uh, with their dirty deeds, uh, as we like to call them. So, uh, so we have, I guess we have how many Tempest Runners? We have three Tempest Runners. We have Cassif, Lorna D, and Pan Yetta. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, and so we learn a little bit about each. They they have their own dynamics. They have their own ships and their own crews. And that's and that's what I really liked about this book is that. There's even politics within within the villains. It's very temporary uh, to see what's going to happen. And and by the end of the book, uh, like I like Marcian Rowe, but by the end of the book, it really establishes how strong he is and that he's really been playing these guys. But the one scenario with Kazov, right? We mentioned the thing where they built the, the droid array. Uh, and so they took thousands of droids, the Navadroids, and they were able to predict where these these anomalies were going to happen where these, what were they called? I'm sorry. Um, emergences, emergences. Thank you. What happened. And so the thing about it was that the, the Nile had that knowledge and that they were going to use it to their advantage, especially Kazov. And so he goes to Iridu and he tries to blackmail them. And this is one of the most disastrous things that's <laughs> ever happened to anyone. Probably, especially when you talk crap to the people and you, and you piss them off, but they don't die. So he he tries to bribe them. He says, we'll stop the, the emergence from hitting your planet. We'll save your people. Uh, but he fails completely. And the emergence hits the planet, wipes out a billion people probably, right? So that that was really the downfall of that character. But I liked that because that showed 
that really showed what was going to happen next with uh, with Marcian Rowe making his power play against the the Tepes runners in full. Mm-hmm. I also love that it was Kasiv that killed Marcian's father, and then he gets his revenge. I thought that was great. Did, exactly. did that actually get confirmed, or was that just Marcian just saying, I'm pretty sure it's you, but even if it's not, I still want you gone? It was left vague enough that it didn't get confirmed, but like Kasev's thought pattern after he accused him pretty much also confirmed that he was the one who did it. We just okay. don't know how or any of that. He's also the most ambitious one of the three, you know, that kind of gets him in trouble. Uh, was this now that whole thing? What was this? What was the space? The space battle at the end was uh, when when the Republic sends their ships off to fight Kasev, right? And they they go through all this crazy like guerrilla warfare, which I thought was kind of crazy because everybody expects people to fight fair in space, fight fair, period. I don't really understand that concept, honestly. Um, this isn't like gentleman's war. Uh, so the Nile say, you know what, let's just take any tactics that we can possible and just use them against the Republic because we're outmanned. They have the Jedi. Uh, so how are we going to survive? And they got really nasty with it, honestly. I thought that was I thought that was a really awesome situation. I just wanted to say, like, um, I think the Nihil are probably the best adversaries that we've seen in a really well, maybe even period. Unless you want to count like Thrawn as an adversary on both sides sometimes, as he can be. But like um the Sith, it's like, oh, there's the rule of two, so we're gonna exist in the shadows forever. Okay fine the empire is just everyone hates them there's really no reason to ever like them and then you have these guys who not like i like them i'm not rooting for the nihil necessarily but the jedi are so pretentious and it's like and they continue to be pretentious for the next 300 years where you're just kind of like you know what okay i'm okay with you guys putting them in their place sometimes because this that's one of the things I actually really liked about this book too was not only were the adversaries where you're like, okay, I see why they can compete with the Jedi because the Jedi are like, we're so good. We we couldn't possibly be beat. So what are you doing? You're doing all this bad. Why are you doing this to us? Like we're the Jedi. We're trying to help you. And it's like, there's people who don't want to be helped. There's people who think that your help is shitty and you don't really need to do it and we can govern ourselves, et cetera. So I think it's, um, I loved them. They were actually my favorite part of the first book uh, was Martian Rowe and his entire reason for existence was just fantastic to me. Um, and like I said, again, you see that the Jedi are just, they don't think that anyone else can use the force. And that is also a very, very intriguing uh, idea um, that is presented in this is that it seems as if the Sith are a long lost memory <laughs> And I'm sure they they aren't. (laughs) Uh, To both of your points, Chris, first of all, to the battle point, it made me think a lot of like people who talk about World War One when the tactics suddenly changed and the Republic is still fighting with these. Well, we bring our cavalry troops, you bring yours and we follow the rules of war. And they're like, hell no, we're not going to follow that. And then uh, to Casey's point, uh, you know, the fact that the Jedi are so pretentious, they think when they destroy Kasev's fleet, they destroyed the Nihil. The fact we learn that Martian's whole revenge thing is because the Jedi have done 
something to his family reasons reasons not clear but it it involves the jedi and then this whole force user things it leaves me with this huge question of will the republic learn about the hyperspace lanes and is this something they have in the clone wars uh the empire and we just they don't mention it because they've had this tech for 300 years and for us now it's going to be like oh things were so different before this tech that they got well we're talking about tech here and uh the one thing from this battle that we haven't spoken of is using hyperspace as a weapon martian roe is literally using his own ships as hyperspace Genius. weapons yeah launching into but hey look is that the is that ship the length of a football field away from you not a problem with this new hyperspace beam weapon we will launch your ship right into that one in the blink of an eye what Wait, where did this come from how uh, first off where did it come from how is he controlling it because of his he's as we presume nowhere in sight to the the system that the Jedi are fighting Cassif and his crew and how did he get this knowledge so quickly in the course of the book you know that he could do this just willy nilly well let's be clear Holdo obviously took a class in military school about the Nihil and the Holdo mm-hmm. maneuver is a Nihil maneuver from 300 years ago She's Martian's great 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 great, great <laughs> granddaughter. I heard that's canon, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you missed a great though. So do you think uh you think Martian Rogue in his own backstory book? Something you'd like to see? I hope so. Or the Acolyte TV show? That's well, I guess that's a question about the Acolyte because is that happens at the end of the High Republic era, from what I understand? Yes. Okay. I I want to see more than just that though. If they're going to develop this time period, I would love to hear a movie announced. Maybe they'll do a Nile movie, a Nile prequel movie, or something crazy. But Casey brought up the perfect point because we 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 are always faced with the same adversaries, and it gets kind of gets kind of boring after a while. Honestly, um, we have some great villains in Star Wars, great individual villains, but this this force as a whole is something that that nobody's ever dealt with. Um, and it's interesting that they, that they're kind of gone by the time the, uh, the prequels happen too, where hopefully they can start working that into a story here or there. Uh, because I know that in the comics, they, they, they introduce a row, uh, which I think we forgot to talk about Rocco in, on one of the episodes uh, when we were talking about the HR tie-ins, but one of the recent ones brought up one of Rose's descendants. Uh, so It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, but the the fact that they are that much of a threat, the fact that by the end of the book, they've established that get out of the outer rim because we're going to we will destroy you otherwise. Uh, and just to see where we're going to go from here uh, will be interesting, especially with Starlight Beacon being uh, established by the end of the book. And so that mm-hmm. was that was kind of the neat thing about this whole book, uh, Light of the Jedi, was that it. It really is encompassing the whole first part of uh, the initial launch of the High Republic, because when we talk about Test of Courage, we talk about Into the Dark. Those are taking place during this, uh, leading up to Starlight Beacon. And the first comic does, uh, but 
the second and third comics start to get into new territory uh, past uh, what we what we see at the end of the book. So that'll be I'm waiting. I'm really anxiously waiting and waiting to see uh, to read more from that. But I need to read Into the Dark because I'm being very lazy about that. Anything else you guys want to talk about in regards to Light of the Jedi? Anything you really liked about it? Didn't like about it? Yeah, I got a final point. Um, I really liked all the questions it left us with to explore as it goes through. So we've talked about, you know, Martian Rowe and what his history is with the Jedi, because that's something big. But the other one um, at the end of the book, what the hell was Azar, Elzar Man's dream of that purple crystal and pain throughout the Jedi like he's never felt before? I'm like, where is this going? What is this leading to? Acolyte. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's all where it ends. Is he, is Martian part of the Sith cult? You know, are we finally going to get the Sith cult established that we see in Rise of Skywalker? Mm-hmm. I kind of hope not, because I feel like it's a bad use of the Sith, but maybe. I just... I do want to mention that the accolade is supposed to happen at the end, right? And it's the High Republic time period is like a hundred years, correct? It's it's a big chunk. It's two. We have two hundred years before we get to the two hundred years. There's a lot of who's going to die, who's going to who can live that long. So a lot yeah. of the speculation. There's there's there was a name mentioned. I Duke who lost or uh, who shares the same last name as one of the Jedi at the beginning of the Light of the Jedi. So all of this stuff and where it ends up. Um, because we know the dark side is coming. We've, we see it already. Uh, and the fact that the Acolyte is kind of our endpoint, what does that entail and, and how do we get there? So it'll be really interesting to see how long this initiative lasts for, especially if it's 200 years, right? And they were talking about doing the, the at least based on some of the interviews I was seeing. Um, I can't think of the name of the guy who's running it right now. Um, but he he had said he's looking to 2023 as sort of the end year for the High Republic's publishing and so forth. Really quickly, just mention how they're dealing with the Yoda issue of just he's off on a mission somewhere else this entire time. Good. Yep. Yeah. But that's the the I... way they deal with it. He he's somewhere else in space. Mm-hmm. All of the Jedi mass, like the whole Jedi Council seems to be like this, at, like not afterthought, but this thought, like they're almost beyond what's going on. Like they they have better things to do or something. You see Yoda at the, you know, the Starlight Beacon ceremony, but it's okay because we don't need Yoda and everything to make it, make it work. It, we know Yoda's alive. He's part of the Jedi Council and that's really all we we need from him, right? No, I agree. Just out of curiosity, has anybody read the uh, the? I think it's IDW that does the yeah second, the adventures. Yeah, mm. it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we get a little more Yoda there. Uh for the for the kids. Mm-hmm. Why not? So, how are those books just not structured well for adult reading? Is that it? It's just kind of. No, it's just not it's good. Just not good writing. It's not, it's not, I mean, uh, comics are for everybody. It, with the, ex- I mean, okay, you know what I mean. I do. Not yeah. talking about sex criminals, but you know what I mean. Like it's uh, <laughs> right. nail biter for kids, right? So, a comic that's written for kid doesn't mean it's not accessible to adults. Is what I'm saying, not the other way around. <laughs> like pursuit of plastic. Correct. Hey, hey, 
My daughter loves the My Little Pony comics, and they're some of the funniest comics I've ever read. So there you go. Yeah, exactly. Right. This Kid one, I comics just can be good. It. Yeah. <laughs> so we're we're at agreement. It's just really the writing, huh? Yeah, it's too bad. I've heard some of those Star Wars adventure ones are good for my dude Epi, but so a lot of stuff gets introduced: uh, new ships, new Jedi, new powers, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, so we have a lot to look forward to. You know, learning more. It did a really good job setting everything up. Uh, like I said, the pacing of that book was terrific. Uh, the way that they split it up into three, you know, three parts. As somebody who's kind of a slower reader, uh, just because I, it's just hard for me to find time sometimes to read and, and dedicate that time. I found myself wanting to go to the next chapter instead of sometimes wishing for the chapter to end. Like, when can I put my bookmark in? And that's what I really liked about it. And I give that book really high ratings for anybody who is a Star Wars fan and wants to learn the overall story of what's happening right now. You don't have to get any other stuff. This is this is a good introduction to the High Republic. And so uh, with that, let's jump into a commercial break, and then we'll be back with more Star Warriors. Hey, come take a seat at the campfire. You're not the only one who joins. I've got friends that come over sometimes, too. We talk about a ton of interesting things from geek culture. Then we cover some conspiracies or philosophical thoughts or monsters. You know, we talked about Bigfoot in one episode. It's a lot of fun, so come join me at the Campfire Chats, a DFAT entertainment podcast hosted on Spotify and other fine places you find podcasts. DFAT Comics is the publishing branch of Don'tForgetATowel.com the only place to travel geekly. Focusing on creator-owned and independent titles like Hollowed, Pursuit of Plastic, and Fairy, and many more. DFAT Comics will be a mix of genres appealing to every kind of reader. Join the new source of comic book entertainment with DFAT Comics. We are back after those commercials with more Star Warriors, and we are talking High Republic. Uh, so we just covered Light of the Jedi, and we're going to jump into the Marvel comic series by Kevin Scott, uh, with art by Ario Anandito, and cover art by Phil Noto, uh, who's been doing a ton of uh, covers and, and whatnot for Star Wars for, since the beginning. So I'm very excited to talk about this comic. Uh, I think that Kevin Scott has been doing a great job with it. I am also excited for his book, which comes out, uh, which is the next adult novel uh, coming out this summer i believe uh so let's get right into that and so Rocco's going to take the lead on this our resident star wars comic expert uh so take it away buddy okay. um i i wish i could live up to that title but i'll be sadly disappointing um no but in all seriousness there a couple things i really first want to bring up about these about this this specific uh series this this run here um number one it's gorgeous like every page is just it's it is beautiful. Um, I love the colors, and I feel like some of the colors are colors I haven't seen in other Star Wars comics. Um, which it, I guess maybe if you don't read a lot of comics, maybe you don't understand what I mean. But like, there seems to be a color tone that you see in a lot of books, depending upon what you're reading. And in Star Wars, it's it's always a, a specific kind of like tone to it. Um, almost dirty at times, you know, especially like Empire Strikes Back. It, again, you, you got to hopefully you read enough comics to understand what I'm talking about. But the, the colors in, in these books 
were just eye popping, really caught the eye, I think, immediately. But I think the biggest thing is I didn't read any of the books like you guys. I got to have pictures. If there's no pictures, you know what I mean? I struggle. Okay. Um, but the fact of the matter is when I was a kid and I put on a new hope, who's that guy? What's that? I don't know who the hell that is. Who's this? Oh man, I want to, I want to know more. Give me more. And, and with the first book in high Republic, it, until I saw Yoda in one panel, I was still trying, I was, I'm still struggling to get everybody's name correct. But the point is, is I want to read more. I want to know more. The story successfully has started to pull me in. And it's not just because it's Star Wars. It's a very well-written comic. Um, we're, we're three, we're three books in the beginning really, you know, set us up. What was it following Trennis going from Padawan to Jedi Knight? Um, under skier, skier, ski, skier, the Trandishan guy. Um, he's a very angry fellow. He's got, you know, he's got one arm and he's not happy about it. And then it, it moves into their first mission in the next book. I just, I want to know more, especially with the way the last book ended, you, you know, uh, that was pretty wild. And then you had, uh, Marshall, um, Chris just pop out, just bam, save the day. What? Like it was, it was really, really cool the way they, the way they did that. I, I mean, I don't know, Chris, I don't know if you're feeling the same way I am on these. I, I love them. I, I do. And I, I have a little more insight because of um, the books and especially how it kind of, what, it ha- what it happens at the end of three and uh, with, with the Dranger and stuff like that. So that's, mm-hmm. that's really starting to tie together each, like I said earlier, each book has something to do with the other. Uh, and what they face there, especially with Skier, you know, having so much trauma. And then it really does a good job alluding to that he's he's falling, uh, that he's even as a master, he's 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 having all these problems. And when it finally gets to that last panel, I just I, it was really kind of just shocking. That's the thing about comics when they just leave you with that cliffhanger and you got to wait a month. You're like, no, I, I need now. Yeah, and it was quite the cliffhanger, you know, and with that weird plant creature, and it was creepy, to say the least, especially with those those twins. What are their name? I can never remember their name, and it doesn't – anyway, that was so – they're creepy as it was, and then you add the zombified plant portion to it, and now they're extra creepy in my in my book here. They share connection in the force, right? So – Yes, they do. Yes. Well, plus they're twins. So yes. So it's like it's a twin Luke thing. Luke and Leia more than say Raylo, right? Because that that was more of a yeah, yeah. a different uh, thing that the Correct. whoever the emperor created, I guess he said. But yeah, so I like I like that because that shows um, how the force does flow through family members. Uh, we've we've seen it since the beginning of Star Wars, but to actually see it in action between Jedi is something different. Uh, so that I, I did like that a lot, uh, especially when one of them is taken and the other one starts to really kind of speak through, uh, speak through it, what's happening to him. Quick question. Exactly. And I, yes. Are you telling me the Dringar are in this comic? Yep. All right. I got to read this comic because I actually like them more than the Nihil. I think they're a cool villain. The Nihil did not have not played a large portion at all in the comic. They were in 
uh, a scene. I would I would call it a scene um, with the gas, and then you know a, a fight, and then it was done, um, and that was it. That was really it. But the one thing I did want to mention is uh, Padawan or Jedi Knight Trennis. Um, she swears a lot, and I really like the fact that we're learning new Star Wars swear words. Dang yeah, um, it's funny. You know, and it's just like it's funny because you. I have to reread it. Like, what did she just say? I'm like, oh, she's swearing. Carabas. And I like how Skier <laughs> Skier at the beginning was like trying to tell her like you're trying to be a knight but you you know you swear like a Karelian sailor or whatever it is you know he doesn't say that exactly I'm I'm obviously paraphrasing here but you know I I I think that that I love that's the thing I love about Star Wars and that that just that simple creativity is that she's got a foul mouth and that was something that I was really just able to vibe with like you know you're trying to be a professional but you just you got a mouth and you don't mean you don't mean anything by it. And Trennis, she's the same. That's that's her character, and I love that. I love that, and I, I can't wait to learn more about her. So, if anything, with the, these comics, kind of, you know, I listen to you guys talk about these books, and the comics give such a like a, a sliver of the story. But for me, it's just like I just want the next page. I want the next issue. I want to know what's going to happen next. You know, it's not like the Afro series where I, I could put that down at any point. Um, but with High Republic, it's like, turn the page, next issue, let's go. I want to know what happens. Yeah, that's kind of like what I said about Light of the Jedi. Uh, I felt the same way about that that comic as well. It it was kind of a, a slower start at first. Uh, but then all of a sudden, the second issue just picks right up, like you said, and, and gets into all that. So uh, this is a limited series, right? So from my sources, which, you know, take those with a grain of salt, from what I've heard, this specific run is limited and it will split into multiple runs within the High Republic time period. Um, so there will be different books that will spin off of these characters. My assumption is Trennis, she's uh, Jedi Knight Trennis, she's going to get probably a series to herself. Um, based on how they're building her up in this. That's my assumption. Um, and from there, that would be the only one I would assume. But I heard it was going to be like two or three spinoffs from this limited series. And those would be continuing. That makes the most sense. I mean, that's what I'd like to see. Uh, because it, it, there are so many characters, like we mentioned. And just to, I guess, jump around like that to kind of... Because I want to see it too. Like you said, pictures are great. Uh, and I love the medium of comic books because it really has become a, a great storytelling uh, a medium. I'll say that again, but I'm kind of I'm kind of surprised they haven't announced announced something yet. Uh, but I'm sure they'll take full opportunity to put out at least four more titles. Oh yeah, I think I think we're gonna see. I think we're gonna start seeing advertisements for it during uh, Bounty Hunter Wars. That's my thought. Once Bounty Hunter Wars releases. We're gonna start seeing some higher, more high republic advertising. Then again, I could be wrong. I don't work for Lucasfilm or Disney, so. Yeah, I mean they're gonna take it slow. I'm sure until they. I mean, all the books are on the top of the reading list. You know, bestseller lists. These comic books are very popular, so I'm. They're probably just getting ready to unleash it upon us. So, I'm sure we'll get more announcements mm -hmm. when we get closer to that second book by Kevin Scott, who is also writing the comics. So. 
Very excited for that. Any other thoughts on, on the Marvel books? No, I just, I can't wait till the next one. That's about it. Beautiful. Yeah, if you guys have not read them, get on. It's really good. Um, sounds better than the, the High Republic Adventures or whatever it is. So, yeah, so that's, that's it. Let's, uh, let's jump over to Colin, who's going to be talking about Test of Courage. And so the nice thing about this, which sets it apart from anything else that they've ever done kind of with the Star Wars Initiative, is that there's something for everybody. And that is really probably the best approach you can ever take. I love that they have anywhere from kids books, young, you know, I got whatever that age group before teen is, and teen books and the young adult books and then the adult book. Uh, so you can read it all or you can just read Light of the Jedi in the comics or whatever you want. So that's the beauty of it. Colin, why don't you give us a little uh, rundown of Test of Courage? Because I've, I've heard really great things about that main character and I'd love to hear your side of things. Sure. Uh, well, before we get into it, though, I, I just want to, you know, I want to test something with you guys here. As you know, I'm an aspiring voiceover person, and uh, I, that means I need to get a little practice in here. So I need a little audience participation from you guys. So if you pick up on where I'm going with this, great. If not, that's on me. So <clears throat> hello there, kids. Do you like reading? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good yes. for you. Say, wouldn't you wouldn't happen to also like reading Star Wars as well? <gasps> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, thank the maker. I'm so glad to hear it. But I have one more question. Do you like reading Star Wars stories that put children ages 12 to 16 through an emotionally traumatic experience, leaving them with overwhelming fear and horror in the immediate moment, then the horror, grief, and survivor's guilt that make you question your ability to handle your own horrible life traumas that you've had no real means of processing because your parents don't know how to properly communicate with you about death and horrible other things you have to deal with in that moment? Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh... <laughs> Um, well, um... then check out Star Wars The High Republic, A Test of Courage by Justina Ireland. You'll be surprised how many times you audibly utter, oh my good God. <laughs> oh my so, good God. I just, oh my good God. <laughs> I, I just, yeah. I'm so, clapping. That, that pretty much Fantastic, Colin. That, yeah, that sums it up pretty nicely there. Hmm. Um. The, the book was surprisingly darker than I had anticipated. The whole crux of it is it takes place after the initial first emergence of the great disaster in the Hetzel system. But it's still before everything with the Nile at the end of Light of the Republic takes place. So it's sort of like wedged between there before they all meet at the uh, Starlight Beacon. And it centers around predominantly these five key characters, all of them ages 12 to 16, the eldest being this sort of prodigy Jedi. Her name is Vernestra Ruo, or it's R-W-O-R-H. Yeah. Yeah. So, and because I didn't get the, uh, the, the audible book, I, I don't know many of the names off the top of my head here. So you're just going to have to go with me here. But Vernestra is awesome. She is she's a great character because despite being a prodigy, she is not arrogant by any stretch of the imagination. She's confident in her abilities, but still has that kind of weighing burden on her. She goes, well, I have done something that no one else has done. And at the age of 15, I have passed my Jedi trials. So 
that means that I have to live up to this. And that means that I have to be a better example. And what better example than to be the source of foundation when all hell breaks loose at the very beginning on this diplomatic mission. The whole thing is she's there guiding this young girl by the name of Avon Staros, who is the daughter of Galactic Senator Jira Staros, to the Galactic Republic, who are there with the Dalnan emissaries and their son, uh, Onesti Weft. And spelled honesty. I don't care if it's pronounced honesty. I am not pronouncing his name honesty. It's, to me, honesty. That's how I'm saying it. Honesty weft. So it's Vernestra, Honesty, Avon Staros, Avon Staros's servant droid, J6, who she has reprogrammed to have sort of a learning-as-it-goes personality. So the degradation of that robot's personality into sort of a leave me the F alone as the book goes on is spectacular. And then there is a fifth character by the name of Imri Kentaros, who is a Jedi Padawan who is 14 and he is sort of the main antithesis to Vernestra. And it's only because early on in the book, all five of them survive a great horror without really going into too much detail since none of you have read the book. And in surviving this, they have to deal with grief in very different ways. Avon is more of like a Riri Williams from the Marvel Universe kind of person. She's intellectual, she's very analytical, she's young, and she doesn't quite understand human emotions as well as others. Vernestra is a trained Jedi. She feels grief, but only in the way that a trained Jedi would, and so she's able to process it. However, Onesti and Imri, they're younger. Even though Imri is two years younger than Vernestra, he is way, way behind her when it comes to being a Jedi. So when he's faced with handling his grief, it's a huge struggle, and it's interesting to watch that. And then with Anesti, who is a young man who is going through a very important time in his life. They call it the metamorphosis in his culture, where essentially he is on the verge of becoming a a man. And he's very conflicted about what he's going to do with it. And then he's have to he's having to deal with grief grief himself. It is fun to watch the two of those guys, Imri and Onesti, feed off of each other on accident through their own grief as the five of them are stuck on a hostile planet, both in environmental means as well as, uh, how do I put this, uh, homicidal pirate means. <laughs> they end up having to fight three different things, the elements, homicidal pirates, and more importantly, themselves as a means to learn about what it is to move on and grow. It's a very simple children's kind of story in terms of that, but page by page, I found that this children's book was just so excellently written and so well demonstrative of what it is to be a child and dealing with 
adult things in general, let alone if you've never been taught how to. And I loved every page of it. Very nice. Now I want to read it. I wasn't. Right? Go. I mean, I like Justina Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. I'd, Sweet. I'd never read any of her stuff before. And now after reading this, I feel bad that I haven't. Because I, I liked her writing a lot. And as I understand, her other books are not as youthful in terms of the verbiage and, you know, the the wording that's in the book. So if she takes that same kind of care with her characters in this book as she does in her more adult ones, I have to read those. That's awesome. Can I ask you about the main character? Um, yeah. Her name is slipping my memory. Vernestra um, Rowe. Yeah. What is her What is her species? Is it? She's Miriallen. Like Lumandara or whatever that yeah. Jedi was, right? Mm-hmm. I kept thinking she was like Feline. I don't know why. Like, but then I saw like the the design or those little tattoos or whatever they have on their necks, right? That yeah, she's face. got her tattoos. I don't know if it's because of her age or when she left her culture, but they made a point of saying that she's got matching tattoos of just three diamonds along the corners of her eyes. Which, as a side note, angered me greatly that they don't have those available in Star Wars The Old Republic when I tried to make my Vernestra Rowe <laughs> character. But somebody had already beaten me to it. Of and course. they had Vernestra Rowe was already taken. And I was like, damn it, son. What about the oh, yeah, droid? What's I, have, that? Oh. I have a question about the droid because I have not found a droid yet that I'm attached to. Definitely not in Light of the Jedi. Definitely not in oh. the comics. L7, or new droid? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't. I haven't yet. So J6 is, she is a sassy kind of nurse droid, if you will, that we soon, not soon, late in the book find out is built as a bodyguard droid as well. And like I said before, Avon is not a girl that fits with, you know, your traditional forms of social interaction. She likes to tinker. And so as soon as she got J6 as an assistant droid and nurse droid, she immediately started to play with her programming. Instead of just telling her how to be, she just said, I'm going to give you a little nudge. You go ahead and take in the world, learn how it is to be this, and kind of let your protocols go away in terms of how to be nice and polite. Because that, and that's, that's the best I can say about that. But she gets to be so much more of an individual while still be kind, being kind of a badass, especially towards the end, on her own, in her own kid's way, if you will. Yeah, just I keep thinking of like oh, Dot man. Matrix from Spaceballs and Joan Rivers' voice. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, I wish. That, that, that's right. kind of the voice I was hearing in the back of my head there. I was like, <laughs> hmm, okay, that works. Maybe they drew her that way so you have that image kind of going on like i don't know if we we can see it in the the cover of the book there mm. so kind of you kind of got that whole vibe yeah. going all right all right yep yeah you're giving me crap i see <laughs> so so we have space pirates not the nil or the nile so <laughs> I, I say space pirates you know because that's how we we describe it loosely here yes we're that since this takes place between the the initial disaster and the very end of light of the jedi um we are seeing nile here and okay. uh, to 
a small it's not actually so much of a spoiler but these guys work for oh geez why why am i drawing a blank on his name the guy who the one who actually dies in uh Light of the jedi oh Cassiv. yeah they're Cassiv's guys so it's before he's dead or before anyone else finds out he's dead okay um that's that's sort of our timeline here that's cool mm-hmm. and the whole thesis of it from their side as niall is what we were saying before towards the end uh chris was it's the outer rim this belongs to us we don't need the republic to intervene with this because the dalin you know system that's where they start from in this book is trying to be brought back into the republic and this is an opportunity for the nile to say no f off you're not getting this we're going to tell you that if you try to deal with the republic you deal with the nile as well hmm. which you know is interesting because nobody ever claims the outer rim right never the empire doesn't do it right mm-hmm. by the end of the republic it's not it's not really controlled um after the empire all the way up until what till the sequels no nothing can control the uh the outer rim right mm-hmm. well and uh, just just that thought alone with you if you think about how in the skywalker universe prior to even any of these books you're just thinking oh the outer rim that's just a lawless area you know they don't even the republic doesn't dare to bother with it the empire doesn't really bother with it so much they have small little shops but no one gives a crap about it so it's like how big of an influence did the nile have at that time or how badly did they really screw it up out there well that too and like how people were fearful to actually continue to try to develop that so that's that's interesting mm-hmm. and now you want me to, i got to read that book now yeah it's it's definitely it's a fast read it's only about 260 some odd pages and the pages are dinky so it took me a week to read because again you know dyslexia and all that good stuff but um it's 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 a fun read it definitely is worth it if you've got a kid that can ask the right questions when they're starting to get to some of the more serious topics throughout it the age well as i'm a six-year-old trapped in a 35 year old's body uh that's a (laughs) tough question i would say it it really comes down to the children themselves the 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 age range that they put for the book which is i believe 8 to 13 is appropriate for it the the characters themselves are aged 12 to 16 um but the writing itself, at least for a comprehensive style, I would say fits right into, you know, middle school and junior and, you know, early junior high. Yeah, well, my my daughter's seven and she's very much getting into Marvel, DC and Star Wars. And she is a reader. She would much rather sit on her bed and read books than anything else. So I'm trying to, like, fill her library with things. And this what is it, one it, I would love to put on her shelf. How mature into Marvel and DC has she gotten? Um, she's reading Doctor Strange's Academy right now. Um, the the Marvel, well, obviously Marvel, and then um, she read. She, I'm letting her read some choice issues out of Batgirl right now. Mm-hmm. Some of those issues are definitely not appropriate, but um, sifting through the ones that are, she gets it. Mm-hmm. So. I think she'd be just fine reading this. It, it's not as mature as as that I might be making a come off. It's just, you know, 
when it comes to kids and it comes to death, it's uh, it's always a giant question mark. So, yeah, you are having to watch the yeah. Justice League animated show, though, right? Yeah, we're watching that together. I'm not allowed to watch that when she's not here. That's got some heavy stuff in it. So, <laughs> yeah, she asks a lot of good questions too. Mm-hmm. So, awesome. So, I'm putting that on my reading list after Into the Dark. Yeah, yeah, which we're about to talk about right now. So, Casey. Tell us all about Claudia Gray's venture into the High Republic. Yeah, I'll, I won't give too many spoilers away. Um, but Claudia Gray has been writing for Star Wars since the new Disney acquisition. And I have liked every single book that she has put out so far. Um, I will say for me and Jake and I being the only people who have read it, I didn't like it as much as I liked Light of the Jedi. But there's things in it that I liked a lot. Um, so overall, Claudia Gray's track record is still remains flawless in my opinion, but, um, the bad guys, which Jake enjoyed, I was, I'm not super impressed. (laughs) I loved it. I mean, it didn't fit what I originally told you where I was like, dude, this is going to end up being like aliens in the star Wars universe, but I liked what it ended up being. Yeah. So the Dren gear, um, which it's not really a spoiler because they are kind of all over the place, like in the um, uh, whatever press releases and stuff. So it's like a species of like killer plants is the best way to put it. And for me, I'm just like set them on fire or something. Like I just don't see the threat of plants in my opinion. They've got some ways that they are formidable, but overall, it just didn't speak to me like Marshawn Rowe did. And with what's hinted at in the comics and in the, in that first book, and maybe even in uh, the book Colin was talking about is like, there's something bigger going on with the Nihil and what Marshawn Rowe wants to do with this Jedi. So for me, this divert diverting story, which ha- has nothing to, uh, there's some Nihil sprinklings in it but really has nothing to do with them i was like can we just get back to the to the bigger issue at hand that's gonna tell that story more but you know it follows um uh let's see what are there three jedi right it's two masters and one oh four, four. you're right three masters and one padawan yep and they match up with like this space crew um they have to go and and help this I don't know, bunch of people who are getting it's like a weird space station. You like again, you think it's aliens that it's gonna be bothering them. I don't think it would be that much of a spoiler because it's right at the beginning of the book to say what starts it is they're traveling through hyperspace to go to Starlight Beacon and yeah. then the uh the disaster happens and they're all booted out of uh hyperspace and they happen to be get booted close enough that they're next to an abandoned space station and pretty much everyone who got booted out of hyperspace in that area which includes these four jedi go to this station to survive until the hyperspaces lanes reopen yeah so you think it it could have been like a you know lv 427 or whatever it is right like you think it could have been that sort of thing like what's happening but it doesn't end up being that way um i will say that the space crew that they match up with i liked those characters a lot a lot especially geode uh which is like this 
non-talking rock species. Geode is amazing, and the space drug addict captain is also great. Like this hippie dude, which is funny. And they talked about sex. Yeah, they did. Yes, which was a first uh, in Star Wars, right? I mean, I think like that they actually said we don't have sex. We don't, you know, we can't do it. And um, it was a whole discussion. And I was like, whoa, okay. You guys usually don't say it ever. So um, that was kind of neat that they actually threw that out there. That space hippie guy though. Uh, Man, like I don't wear shirts. They're too restricting. Yeah. I just got to go with the flow of life. (laughs) So we got our first space toilet in the Mandalorian. And then we have our first sex talk in, in high Republic. Man. Yep. Yeah. Um, it is big time. Uh, so when you asked first, you know, at the beginning of the episode, like who was my favorite Jedi, it's Elzar man, but that's because he gets more expanded upon. Hey, really quickly. This is not our first sex in star Wars, but it was Claudia gray. Um, master and apprentice, uh, Qui-Gon's first apprentice or sorry Dooku's first apprentice totally has sex in the book and then he's like I don't form attachments so it's okay to do it is it the southern guy the one with the southern accent yeah it's the one with the southern accent okay but Claudia Gray has introduced it before in the books I didn't finish that book so but that character knowing him that completely makes sense yeah 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 well what about Solo well, I guess that was more of an illusion. This was a straight up like this is straight L3. up saying like he's putting his clothes sorry. back on when like he talks so there's to there's no illusions. Guy. Yeah, it's, no. Okay, got it. Got it. Um, right, like the space stork visited Padme, and that's how she got pregnant. exactly. Right. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was just yeah. nice to have like a normal conversation between the Jedi, and th- there's some things that happen to them where they have to act like humans and not like Jedi. And um, so for like, that's the thing, like this book is very good. It's just overall the bad, like the conflict I wasn't as invested in as I was in light of the Jedi, but the character development, it's all Claudia Gray. I mean, she does a fantastic job as she always does. And I, I want to see more with the characters that were introduced. Um, So it's a really good, yeah, I mean, it's definitely worth listening to or, you know, reading whatever, however you consume your Star Wars media. Um, and that's it. Yeah, I just had a, I had a really good time with the characters and, and getting to know them. Um, it's just because I guess, Jake, you can talk to this, too, or disagree or whatever. It doesn't make the, the world any bigger. You know what I mean? I guess it's like such a like singular story in my opinion where it's just like this is this little thing that happened whereas light of the jedi is like obviously it has to be like this is so this is huge i will agree and disagree i will agree that it makes it does not make the current world of the high republic any bigger really it just establishes more characters yeah i think it makes the world of star wars as a whole very big because of some of the things with the Drengar, um, without doing spoilers and who they've interacted with before. I got you. And that the space station is from a lost race. Um, which... There was another thing I can't, I don't want to mention. 
Yeah, like I don't want to. There is another big thing that I that my mind. I think I texted you immediately, and I was like, "What?" (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'll agree with you. I think one of the reasons I liked this better is because there was really only four Jedi that we were focusing on, where it was a lot more in light of the Jedi that they introduced. It was um, the Padawan of. the master who is name I forgot again already that dies in light of the Jedi. It's her Padawan. It takes place during the great disaster. And I mean, I actually got my favorite Jedi out of this, which was Comac Vitus, master Vitus. And, um, they expand. Oh, that's who I'm thinking of. I'm so sorry. It is Comac Vitus. You're right. It's not Avar man. Yep. It's Comac Vitus in this one. He's the best. Uh, he's the best jedi so far yet and they really expand upon like what some of the other jedi do without going into spoilers like it really expands on what's allowed in the jedi order outside of the traditional jedi order i i would say like all of you guys um that are in this chat and who decided to download this episode if you haven't gotten behind it yeah i I guess now that you're saying these things it it does make some good jedi growing some jedi stuff let me ask a question in terms of the story itself it's very microscopic right so we're we're stuck on the station um now would you call it a horror story no horror elements I think they kind of start out like a couple chapters and I thought it was going to go that way. And then they just totally drop that plot line. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, it makes it seem like it's going to be like that, but into the dark is more of a insular like thing that you got to deal with instead of the actual going somewhere. Yeah. Cause there's really only two settings for the book, the Jedi temple on Coruscant and then the space station. And when they get to the space station, I was texting Casey originally. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like going to be a horror movie in a book. And that's what I thought like into the dark was going to reference. And then it's not that. Okay. So don't have those expectations. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Don't. It's not like event horizon. When they get oh, on the wish. <laughs> uh, oh man, yeah. Don't spoil Couple that. Jedi I haven't during... watched it yet. Oh yeah. You haven't watched Event Horizon? I know. It's a good movie. And it would be a good you know, maybe someday they'll do because it's owned by Disney. It's a little bit hard. I don't know if they'll go that full horror route ever. Like what was it? Death it wasn't Death Troopers, was Death, it? Uh the zombie ones. Yeah, the zombie yeah, ones. Like so, yeah. I, I it'd be cool to see something like that, and they could have done a light version of it in this comic, or sorry, in this book. Maybe they will, but um, for now, you know what they've done to build out the world. I think they're doing a good job across the comics, and you know, it's all publishing. So, you know, I think I think it would be nice to do another, um, like Jedi or Dooku Jedi Lost, like another audio drama with some other voices too. Not that I don't love Mark Thompson, who I always love. And then I can't remember the guy, the new guy who did um, Into the Dark, but he did a good job, too. But yeah, I I would like that was the one thing that I really liked about uh, what's his name? Jose, whatever the writer. Um, 
he also has a book that's coming out. And when he did the Han Solo one, it was like last shot. It was like he did a voice, a female did a voice, and I can't remember who it was. And then another person did a voice. So there was three different authors did voices for the book, not even professional voice actors. It was kind of cool. That's a nice touch, especially when when the guy's trying to do like a woman's voice and he's not very good at it. Um, well, he did. It was a girl, I think, who did like Han. It was weird. Oh. It was different how they did it. That's yeah, interesting too. Yeah. I mean, so as that's... much as I oh, love the guy who does the Star Wars books, his Darth Vader voice is absolutely horrendous. Yeah, it's usually Mark Thompson who does yeah. the Star Wars books. You mentioned how you liked the non-Jedi characters more. And I think that's an important aspect of this, too, is like building these characters that, you know, it's it's so Jedi heavy, so force heavy. But where do we get our Han Solo? You know? where do these characters come about? Um, and I think Light of the Jedi had some good ones, but it sounds like you were more more impressed by these characters in Into the Dark. Dude, the Jedis are great in Into the Dark. I'm sorry if I gave that impression that they weren't. That's, they that's not what were. I'm saying. No, no, no. I'm just saying like the growth of non-Jedi characters. I did love the three other crew members who were non-Jedi. There was Geode, who's absolutely amazing. And I <laughs> honestly cannot remember the other two names. Uh, name and I feel horrible saying that because one of them is like I would say there were five main characters or four main characters three were Jedi and one was the other person on the ship the girl you mean yeah the girl yeah 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 um who again it's because like you when you read books back to back to back it's like, which Star Wars book am I reading right now? <laughs> I had to look up Comac Vitus's name to remember it no, when I mentioned it. So. so yeah, yeah, yeah. Geode is interesting. I uh, I'm on I think chapter three for the past month, and um, I just it's like, how are they? How is this going to really play out? Because they seem to be building him up as a character. It is a character, and it's just it's such a different thing to just have this inanimate thing that people are talking to and trying to like wrap their heads around where you're trying to wrap your head around it too so i'm i'm, I'm really intrigued now i gotta say anything good Don't say <laughs> well, that's great that's um two more books on my reading list one i have to finish because i don't know why i haven't i blame ps5 right colin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's an honestly good excuse right that's a good excuse um you both <laughs> uh. But uh, for, you know, we have until June, July, until the Kevin Scott novel comes out. So that's a little bit of time to finish these books. So for everybody out there, uh, anybody out there who has not jumped into the High Republic, uh, you have five opinions right here on the different books, comics that have been put out that we've enjoyed them uh, for the most part. And I think that it's a very strong start to uh, what is hopefully an a few years of, of good storytelling and across different multimedias. Cause I'd love to see more than just, just a TV show. I'm excited for it, but let's, I'd like to know if Taika's working on the high Republic movie. Cause that's my, that's my wish for that. one. Hey, I feel like, I feel like it would be great and it would be an amazing payoff to the books, the comics and this whole thing to have a really good movie you know, that encapsulates all these stories, not retelling them. We've already read them. I mean, that has these characters that that continues this story. And, hey, Taika, I'll take him 
any day and anything he does. So that would be great. And uh, I guess Ryan Johnson's uh, movie series is not off the charts. It's still happening. So good. Exactly. And now that we're getting more good. games, let's get a game in the High Re- Republic. It's a big sandbox, you know. There's not as yeah, much restrictions, and I think that's the fun thing. I'm sorry, Colin. Go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, 100%. Yes, sandbox game of the High Republic, just living out in the outer world, outer worlds. The Nile. <laughs> Fallout Tatooine. <laughs> oh man, Jake. That, I'll play yeah. that. Yes, yes. You, are you listening, Bethesda? <laughs> they are. No, Ubisoft. don't, because that'll be a Microsoft exclusive. Some, some are. They, <laughs> they know better than just to Ew. do that. They'll, they'll I can't so get money. an Xbox Ew. and a PlayStation. I'm telling you, just have it go through Obsidian. They can do the stuff just as well as proven by what they did with KOTOR 2 and with Fallout New Vegas. Exactly, exactly. Just let these companies that have done it before do it again. Uh, so any last thoughts on the uh, the High Republic before we end the show? Everybody's High Republic awesome down. No, it's great. Yeah. It's an Read awesome, it. awesome start. Great way to bring in new stories, new characters, new ways of telling stories that we've grown up with so that we can appreciate something we've always loved, but in a new way. Yeah, exactly. And and don't be afraid of that change. There's so many people that are just so, for some reason, so angry about High Republic. You know, you read it in the comments, which you should never do. But regardless, you know, we're drawn to those comments. Just open your mind. Um, I had a lot of fun reading these comics, um, and I think it's a really fun time period. And I just I look forward to see where where it's going to go. Did you learn more tonight, Rocco, about kind of the uh, outlying events and stuff? I I did I did. Um, you know, my brother has been harping on me to like just dude, just buy the book and just read it. I don't understand. You're an adult, like. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and you know, between that and you guys, so it's just you know. I need to pick the books up. We'll we'll get there. Baby steps. Yeah. For now, uh, if you want to really learn about the characters and whatnot, the uh, like I said before, the YouTube channel is a really good place to find that. Those little short clips about uh, each one they introduce, like a couple a week. Uh, I found that in, that very informational and um, just to kind of put faces to the books uh, because there is a big difference between what you know what Rock was saying about the visuals and whatnot and, and seeing that versus absorbing a 300 page book uh, and trying to make up in your head what people look at, but yet they're throwing these infographics and every, everything else at you. So um, it'll all be, a you know, that big picture will be put together for us eventually connect all the dots. And I'm looking forward to reconvening uh, after wave two. So look forward to that. Uh, check us out. Uh, on the new DFAT Entertainment Network featuring great shows. Uh, Casey and I do Talley Talk. Jake does the Campfire Chats. And Rocco has Critical Mass Pod, uh, Critical Mass Podcast. So, uh, and there's even more, even more shows and content. Uh, so check it out, DFATEntertainment.com. We've been also doing a comic book, uh, the Marvel Roundup every month uh, for the last couple months now. So we, we're staying strong. We hope that 
some more of you guys get caught up so you can join us on those episodes and uh that'll be coming up real soon so uh any last any last words from you star warriors go out there and read some everything (laughs) cross the board force be with you (laughs) don't forget there's a new thrawn book in april too oh my gosh (laughs) all the reading all the reading (laughs) so all right thank you all for listening out there and may the force be with you